You can turn back in your Bibles to Matthew. We're going to pick up from verse 17 um, that reminds us that this book is about fulfilling all the promises to Abraham, to David, even to the exiles, and that the Messiah has come. And then we don't often think of it, but that's, that goes straight into then the Christmas section. I'm going to read down to verse 23 of chapter 2. It's all of chapter 2, in fact. Starting from verse 17 of chapter 1. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile. And 14 from the exile to Messiah, to Jesus. Matthew continues immediately. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. This is how what we've just read about starts to get fulfilled. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and used to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? That son of David they were waiting for. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod, who was not a legitimate king, when King Herod heard that he was this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what was the prophet has written. Another prophecy to be fulfilled. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and, and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they'd gone, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled, our word again, what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he learned from the Magi, then was, what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Well, a very good morning to you all, and a very happy new year. It's good to be together, isn't it, to look at God's word together on this first Lord's Day of 2020. So here we are, Matthew's Gospel the good news according to the Apostle Matthew. So his biography of Jesus' life, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you look at the first page of the book of Matthew, what's your reaction? Humanly speaking, it's like, sheesh, that's, that's not a good opener, is it? It's just a long list of names, isn't it? This person had this son, then they had this son, then they had this son, then they had this son, and it goes on for how long? 42 generations, isn't it? 14, 14, and 14. 42 generations. This is what it is, isn't it? This is how Matthew begins his biography, his gospel. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. That's Matthew's opener to his book. That's the opening of the New Testament. You can almost imagine sort of Matthew's friends telling him, hey, Matthew, good luck with trying to have this published. <laughs> you can almost imagine the publishers saying, oh, could you just send us the first chapter or something? And thinking, what is this? This is boring. It's not a grabber, is it? It's not a grabber. Now, I was saved in August 1994 at the age of 11. And I started secondary school in September 1994. And what you get when you start secondary school in assembly? Does anyone know? I don't know if they even still do this. It's a tragedy if they don't, yeah? 
A what? A hymn book? You've got a hymn book, yeah? Well, I had one of these. A testament newydd. Anyone know what that might mean? New Testament. Yeah, that's right. This isn't actually mine. No surprise, this is Hannah's from the 10th of September, 1999. So I was a new Christian, and I thought, wow, like hundreds of us are going to get this. But then, how does it begin? How does the New Testament begin? Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. And there was a little bit of me that was gutted. Oh, my friends, my non-Christian friends, they've just been given a New Testament, and that's the first thing they read, <laughs> like a list of names. And there was a bit of me that was thinking, why can't the New Testament begin with Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 or something? Surely that would be a bit more of a grabber, a bit more exciting. So did Matthew do a mistake? Did the apostle Matthew do a mistake? Did the Holy Spirit do a mistake? Of course not. So why does Matthew begin the way it does? Well, some people today might think that an ancient family tree from the Middle East is boring. It's like 4,000 years old, isn't it, this family tree? But the opening of Matthew's gospel should be a grabber, even today, for about half of the world's population. And you might be thinking, why? Well, because of verse 2. What's the name we see in verse 2? Abraham. Because of Abraham, the beginning of Matthew's gospel should be a grabber for about a half of the world's population, even today. Because about a half of the world's population today look back to Abraham, who lived 4,000 years ago. Half the world's population essentially are saying, whatever Abraham knew and believed, that's what we believe. Christians, Muslims, Jews really should say, whatever Abraham knew, whatever Abraham believed, that's what we believe. 2.3 billion Christians in the world, 1.8 billion Muslims, and is it 14.6 million Jews? They all look back to Abraham, or at least they all should look back to Abraham. Now, Matthew's gospel was written to the Jewish people of his day. So Matthew is telling his Jewish audience, do you know that guy Abraham, your daddy, the person's genes you boast of having in your body? Well, I'm about to tell you who and what Abraham was into. This is what Abraham was into. This is who Abraham was into. And that would have been a grabber, wouldn't it? That would have been a page turner. And then what does Matthew say? And you know King David? Yeah, Jews, do you know King David? Who defeated Goliath and reigned for 40 years during Israel's most prosperous period, well, I'm going to tell you what King David was into. I'm going to tell you what and who he was into. Matthew is basically saying, I'm going to explain history. I'm going to tell you who history is all about. Now, that's a page turn, isn't it? 
that goes straight into the New York Times bestseller list, doesn't it? So Matthew wants to tell Jewish people in particular that the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel, has come. And as we read Matthew's gospel together, notice how many times Matthew quotes the Jewish scriptures or makes reference to the Jewish prophets. Even from our reading this morning, even from our reading this morning, there are sort of five obvious ones. So let's have a quick look at them. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. A Hebrew title, isn't it? And that's from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. What about the next one? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with them. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2 and 4. What about the next one? Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. So when they had gone, when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And then Matthew chapter 2. Verses 16 to 18. Matthew 2, verses 16 to 18. What do we read there? When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And that's Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. And then the last one then, Matthew chapter 2. 
and the second half of verse 22 and verse 23. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew, that's Joseph, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Whew, that's a lot there, isn't it? And that's just Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, through to chapter 2, verse 23. So Jesus really did come to fulfill the prophets. No wonder that's our sort of key verse for the book of Matthew, isn't it? Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. But you might be thinking, how on earth does that help me today in Binfield, Bracknell, Berkshire, England? How does that help me today? I'm not a Jew. Well, the fact that Jesus fulfilled all those ancient Jewish prophecies is confirmation that Jesus really is the Messiah. And that should give us confidence on the Monday morning to trust in Jesus and to cry out to him. That should give us confidence to trust in Jesus every day and cry out to him for help every day. Because the Jesus we are trusting in every day is the real deal, isn't he? He is almighty God. He is the Messiah. This is awesome, isn't it? Who Jesus is. All those prophecies, ancient prophecies, he came and fulfilled. But let's go back to the genealogy for a bit. And you might be oh, really? Yeah, really. Let's go back to the genealogy. Austin's already made it very exciting to us, isn't it? Let's have a little closer look at the genealogy. Jesus is sort of earthly family tree. Now, how many of you have seen the TV program, Who Do You Think You Are? Now, I've never watched a whole episode because I find it too boring. <laughs> but I've seen sort of clips of it and I've read about it. And it is quite a good concept, isn't it? They take celebrities and these celebrities look at their sort of family tree. And sometimes they go quite far back, don't they? And there's usually some shocking revelations. Sometimes people are really pleased about their ancestors, and then sometimes people are really shocked about their ancestors. Who's the, um, the Cockney actor? He's usually like a gangster in films. I think he's in EastEnders now. You all know what I'm talking about, though, don't you? Danny, Danny Dyer, Danny Dyer. Apparently, he's a descendant of King Edward III, isn't he? from the, like, 14th century. And I imagine it's probably legit, isn't it? A descendant of King... So he was obviously very proud of that, wasn't he? Hey, I'm a descendant of King Edward III. I've got royal blood in me. But then there was the actress, is it Naomi Harris in James Bond? I think her ancestors come from Jamaica, and before they went to Jamaica, they came from Nigeria. And her family sort of tree consists of slaves and also slave owners. Slave owners. So that was very emotional for her. And this is what she said. This is how she described what she learnt. She described it as devastating and repugnant. She said, my family tree 
is both devastating, that there are slaves in my family, but also repugnant. There are people in my family who are slave owners. But how would you feel if Jesus' family tree was your family tree? How would you feel? You might be thinking, what? Sort of two of the most famous people in history are in my family tree. Abraham, King David, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. How would you feel if Jesus' family tree was your family tree? Well, when you look a bit closer at this family tree, it's actually full of liars, prostitutes, murderers, adulterers, and idolaters, isn't it? There's a lot of skeletons in that family tree, aren't there? Abraham was a liar and an adulterer, wasn't he? He said, oh, my wife, Sarah, she's actually my sister. He lied and really committed adultery. He got his servant girl, Hagar, pregnant when he was married to Sarah. And then Abraham's son, Isaac, does the same thing. He lies, doesn't he? He says, oh, Rebecca, my wife, she's really my sister. And it created a huge mess, didn't it? And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, well, even his name isn't a good start. What does Jacob mean? Is this sort of deceiver or trickster? He's basically the Bible's con artist, isn't he, Jacob? And then you've got Jacob's sons, and they were quite violent, weren't they? They were murderers. And Judah and Tamar, can you see that, Judah and Tamar? Now, that is a right mess, isn't it? Now, Judah's daughter-in-law is Tamar. And what does Tamar do? She disguises herself as a prostitute, and Judah, her father-in-law, sleeps with her, and then she becomes pregnant with twins, who are Perez and Zerah. That is such a mess, isn't it? And then you've got David, King David... Yeah, he defeated Goliath. He did a lot of great things. He wrote a lot of good songs, didn't he? But he was an adulterer. He was a murderer, wasn't he? And Solomon, he was wise, but he had 300 wives and 700 mistresses. He was very wise, but he was probably a bit of a disappointment, wasn't he, to his father as well. And there are some real evil kings in this family tree as well. And Ahab, can you see Ahab? Ahab was the most evil king who ever lived. Most evil king who ever lived. What do we read in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 33? Listen to this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam. We've read about him, haven't we? Son of Nabat. But also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and built 
that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So you wouldn't be proud of having some of these kings, would you, in your family tree? And we all know the saying, don't we? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Have you heard of that saying? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, Jesus is the one person who could choose both his friends and his family, his earthly family. And Jesus chose to be born into a family full of liars, prostitutes, murderers, idolaters, and adulterers. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, we get the phrase, friend of sinners, don't we? That's where the phrase comes from, a title that's given to Jesus. He is called the friend of sinners. And that is wonderful enough, isn't it? That God, the eternal son, Jesus Christ, is the friend of sinners. Sinners like me and you. But Jesus goes even further. Jesus isn't just a friend of sinners. He's also a relative of sinners. He chose a family full of liars, murderers, adulterers, idolaters. Now, some people are tempted to say, well, Jesus isn't interested in me. I'm too sinful. I'm too sinful for Jesus to be interested in me. And what do you think Jesus' response is? Too sinful? Are you serious? Do you remember who I was friends with during my 33 years on earth? Have you seen who my grandparents are? And I think our problem as a human race, either we think we're too bad or we think we're too good. I'm too bad for Jesus or I'm actually too good for Jesus. I don't need saving. Have you heard people saying that? Some people actually don't believe that they are a sinner who needs saving. But I find that this genealogy tells us, no, Jesus really is interested in sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He's the relative of sinners. And also, this genealogy reminds us of what we're like. Jesus is family tree. The people in Jesus' family tree are what we're like. If we're honest, we are all liars, aren't we? We're all adulterers. We're all murderers. You might be thinking, I've never killed anyone. I've never taken anyone's life. But when we come to the Sermon on the Mount next week, Jesus shows us what murder is. Even hating someone in your heart, isn't it? I've never been unfaithful to my wife. Jesus says, even looking at someone with lust is adultery. Has our yes always been yes? Now, Jesus really shows us what sin really is in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus wasn't just born into a family of sinners. Jesus also adopts sinners into his family today. Isn't that wonderful? 
And Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus isn't ashamed to call us, the church, his brothers and sisters. Isn't it wonderful what we read in Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12? Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy. So Jesus doesn't just leave us in a sinful state, does he? He makes us holy. So both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, makes people holy, and those who are made holy, the church, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. So it's almost as if this morning, I mean this sort of reverently, do you think Jesus was singing with us in heaven, singing about the church, isn't it? Isn't that glorious? I will sing your praises. So God the Son becomes God our brother. Have you ever sort of used the title God our brother? I don't think I've ever used it. But when I was preparing for this, yeah, we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Could we call God the Son, God our brother? That's like, oh, you can't call God your brother. Oh, yeah, we can. We can, can't we? Sort of a lot of world religions. We'd be saying, are you serious? You can call God your brother? Well, the Bible says we can. Jesus, oh, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother or my sister. Yeah, call me your brother as well. I'm your older brother. Isn't that wonderful? And God the Son brings us into a relationship with God the Father, the Most High God. Isn't that wonderful? Apart from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, I think my, my sort of new favorite verses in Matthew's gospel is chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Should we have a quick look at that? Matthew chapter 11, verses, <coughs> verses 27 to 30. Look at this. We see that God the Son brings us into a relationship with God the Father. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Isn't that awesome? One day, Jesus said, I'm going to reveal the Father to you. The Father's committed everything to me, and I'm going to reveal him to you. And then Jesus invites us in verse 28 then, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus became a member of the human race, didn't he? He really was Emmanuel, God with us. He was physically with us for those 33 years. You could touch God. You could hear the voice of God. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He fulfilled the law and the prophets, didn't he? He kept the law 
perfectly for us in his human body. And then in his sinless human body, he carried our sins in his sinless human body on the cross. And on the cross, God the Son suffered, bled, and died for us. God the Son was buried, and God the Son was risen from the dead on the third day. Isn't that awesome? And where is God the Son's body today? Well, 40 days after God the Son's body rose from the dead, it ascended into heaven. And that is where God the Son's human body is now. His resurrected, glorified body right now is in heaven. And that's where he is still saving people who come to God through him. He ever lives to make intercession for those who come to God through him. Isn't that awesome? He's risen and ascended. And he doesn't leave us in our sinful state. He makes us holy. And one day, God is going to be with us again physically. That's quite something, isn't it? One day, we are going to see God face to face one day. One day, we're going to be able to physically walk with God. God is with us spiritually, isn't he? He lives in us by his spirit. But one day, it's going to be physical. And that's the promise we're holding on to. One day, Jesus is going to bring us home. And that's really the last promise in the Bible, isn't it? That he's coming soon. He's going to bring us home. He's going to bring us to paradise. He's going to bring us to the new creation. He's going to bring us to the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to bring us home where we belong. Isn't that awesome? Because right now, we are still in exile. We're living in exile, aren't we? We're not home. We're not where we belong. This isn't where we belong. And it's interesting, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, we don't read about the end of exile, do we? What do we read there? Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So no mention of Zerubbabel or Nehemiah or Ezra there. No, it's exile, then Christ. So it's Jesus who ends the exile. So we're still living in exile, aren't we? And Jesus is coming to bring us home from exile into his eternal physical kingdom. And really, the story of the whole Bible is about exile, isn't it? Where did we begin as a human race? As a human race, we began physically walking with God. We began speaking to God physically. We began by seeing the face of God. That's what Adam and Eve had. But then they were exiled, weren't they? They were banished from the physical presence of God. But we're going back there, aren't we? We're going back to paradise. 
And that's the promise we're holding on to. And Jesus brings an end to exile. We're going home. Isn't that wonderful? And a big theme in Matthew's gospel is kingdom. A big theme is Jesus being king, eternal king, ruling and reigning forever and ever, physically. And one day we'll be with him. Isn't that glorious? Praise God for his word. Praise God for his promises. Shall we respond to God's word in worship by singing this great hymn, By Faith We See the Hand of God. We will stand as children of the promise. And that's what we will do, God willing, uh, today and throughout 2020 and for the rest of our days. Stand as children of the promise.